listeners, welcome back once again. It's time to postulate. Welcome back to Lost in Postulation. I am Neil Fitzpatrick and I am joined. We love him. And if we can stomach him, it's Nicola Volpe. Hey. Hey. That's, well, a, that's a quote of, a, of some kind. Here I am. Here I am. And while we're at it, you know, shout out to all our listeners in St. Paul, Minnesota. We did it, baby. We made it. We made How it. How about that? Actually, we'll get into it. But did he win? Did he really win? Or did he, in fact, we're talking about uh, Tom, of course. Did he win? Or did he kind of lose? It's all relative. Mm. And I don't think he gives a damn. Yeah. Oh no, I definitely don't think he, he he's happy, let's put it that way, with the outcome. But am I happy for him? Like certainly mm. relatively he's done well. No. For St. Paul, he's rapping. It's Absolutely. it's huge for St. Paul. I think it the is. biggest win for the Twin Cities since the the Minnesota Twins won a World Series back in ninety one, I think. Yeah, that, that is was, saying so. something. Yeah. Thirty years later, thirty two, yeah. yeah. Well, wow. Welcome back to Postulation City. It's great to be back. Thanks for stepping in last week mm, with a very somber mm, intro very all by somber. yourself. Yeah, probably not intentionally somber, but I think it reflected how sad I was feeling about not having a full episode. So yeah. there you go. But came across, you know, like a very serious professional, astute. We're going for podcast. professionalism, if nothing else. I did, as I said in the episode at the end, I did enjoy pulling it together, actually. It was nice to listen back and mm. to hear a bit how far we've come from both an audio quality perspective and also a, dare I say it, quality of uh, presentation or performance perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And listeners, let us know if you enjoyed what uh, what we released last week from the archives, a bit mm. of a mashup, because we'd love to keep doing that to keep providing you with uh, with snippets and categorizing, clustering things together, right? Yeah, I think so. And like, uh, it's not what we want to do every time, right? But as we've talked about off air, this is a way that we can continue putting out content when we otherwise just couldn't or can't. So. We'll only do it when we have to, let's say, but I do think it's nice to provide, you know, a unified view on certain topics. Like there's other ones like the Chris Rock saga that we've actually talked about like over multiple episodes, right. which I think would benefit from being pulled together again. So we'll see. But let's let's say that the, the intention is to uh, to do it live continually. Yes, absolutely. Any questions, comments, complaints, as usual, tweeting at Neil Fitzpatrick. Do a look with that because I won't see it, but please do that and let me know how it goes. If that fails, you can, of course, reach us at impostulation on twitter.com or you can email us at lostimpostulation at gmail.com. Wonderful. And while you're at it, anything helps in terms of reviews, in terms of sharing the podcast, anything really helps to grow. We'd love to be on this journey with you guys. Let us know. We'd love to involve you uh, in the podcast more and more and any of your friends as well. Guest postulations, always welcome. And while we're here talking about postulations, Neil, mm. let's kick things off, as always, with a mundane postulation. Let's. Now, as someone who keeps his foot firmly jammed between the door that leads us into the music industry. I love that. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, that metaphor. That's you. I'm that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I want your take on cover music, mm. on version, cover music of very famous songs. Mm-hmm. The reason for this, I was on holiday, I was at the beach in Greece last week, and everywhere we went, it was cover versions of Mm. everything. In the Spotify era where you would assume, you know, you're not getting any economic advantage from constantly playing cover music, it got to the point where it was so annoying because they were all songs I love. I mean, you were getting Prince, Elton, Phil, whoever, all covered constantly i want your take on cover music i wish i had this is the type of thing that definitely has a really good explanation for that there's probably some economic reason why these 
I guess bars, restaurants. Where was it exactly? In, it was in Greece, Crete, in, yeah. in Crete or uh, like Samos, Greek Samos, island. Yeah. Yeah. So an island, like because potentially my explanation was maybe like thirty years ago, before Spotify and the internet, you would have to kind of pay money to have a license to use real music mm -hmm. or you could buy a cd of cover songs and just play it on repeat and not have to pay anything something like that this is mm -hmm. my postulation basically okay. as to what it could be there is also though what i've noticed to be a growing subgenre of music which is like alt indie alternative acoustic covers of big songs yeah that was part of this where you I'll get like that. you know like sad versions of of otherwise happy songs you mm -hmm. know where it's a, a breathy female vocalist going yeah. like, <laughs> like really yeah. breathy emotional that wasn't always the case, though, you're saying. It was, like, close covers to the real thing. like Close covers. Some of them were, yeah. like, the acoustic rendition of something with just, like, a crazy electric guitar, right? But Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that in, like, kind of relaxed beach bar vibe mm -hmm. places mm -hmm. or, like, kind of spa beach. So that would be okay, yeah. you think? I think that would be what they choose, actually, that they, they go, I've got just the thing. Let's do jazzy covers of Metallica or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, and that'll mm -hmm. be, like, the concept. So you asked for my take on it. I'm broadly against covers. And uh, anyone who I've been in a band with knows or would remember probably that I, whenever it comes up as a topic where someone says, hey, let's do a cover, I'm like, only if we can do it in our specific kind of thing, you know, in our wheelhouse. Matching, Put your spin on it. Yeah, you know. like matching our genre. And therefore, let's pick a song ah, okay. that doesn't match our genre. Because the point is, we're here on stage showing what we can do with this uh, inspiration, right? Okay. Yeah. What I'm definitely not here to do is to like stand up and do a copy paste of the song to try and ape it as close as possible because right. for one you'll fail instantly like you mm. won't be as good as the ama amazing artist who recorded initially and then two you don't get a chance to actually showcase any creativity on your own part mm. Mm. so i guess my point is when i see someone do a cover i love and appreciate if they can show their interpretation of it mm -hmm. during the eurovision there was uh did you watch the eurovision this year uh bits and pieces it was actually pretty fun. I, I was surprised to enjoy it so much. You as definitely not a Eurovision guy. Not usually, but right. then we sat there and we did our, did our own little version at home, me and Europe, where we uh, okay. gave each country a score and then we predicted where each one would come. Oh, okay. And then that we, is fun. Yeah. I, of course, turned it into a whole Excel thing and made us a, a, a rank. <laughs> it was great. But uh, the main point being there was an opening act where they took Eurovision legends from the past say, 10, 15, even more longer term, and they just did a load of uh, Liverpool covers. So they were covering loads of different Liverpool ah, songs because okay. that's what it was yeah. but uh, Daddy Frere the Icelandic artist who did uh, one of the most popular songs from the last five years of the Eurovision uh, Think About Things great song mm -hmm. he did a cover where he just completely turned it on its head changed the rhythm of the chorus okay. completely and that as we were watching it I was like that's a cool cover like he's, he's done something with it as, mm. at least it may not be better than the song it might actually be worse than the original probably is but he did a great thing with it he did like something original Something spicy, yeah. something different, right? You set yeah. me off here on a long tangent, but how? Uh, what's your take on these? Well, my take is that to listen to, if I have to choose, I'm never looking for covers, right? Especially of such hits, I'm looking for the original. Now, what you said from a, from a musician's perspective, that's why I asked, right? From a creative process, yes, it is a lot more impressive to do a good version of a cover where you put your own spin on it, I think. At the same time, if I'm sitting at the pub and there's live music that night, do I want Wonderwall to sound like Wonderwall and belt out with, with all my friends? Or do I want a, a cheeky little indie, different paced version of Wonderwall? Mm. I probably want something quite close to the original. 
Context is everything here. I'm seeing right. that now. Yeah. I suppose I'm talking about when you're doing a gig as a band where mm-hmm. people are in theory here to see your band or whatever in a pub environment where it's, it's cover central. Mm-hmm. Then I'm like, just do a fun recreation of the song that people will, you know, sing mm-hmm. along to. Basically mm-hmm. it's like karaoke, okay. you know? Yeah. So I'm with you on that. I wouldn't support a creative cover in like a singer songwriter at a bar. Um, like you'll find thousands of in Dublin, you know, that kind of thing. That's mm-hmm. uh, Then I'm like, just do the song, just recreate Wonderwall, you know? Speaking of finding thousands of it in Dublin, mm. why are Irish people so attuned and so good at singing generally <laughs> compared to people from other countries? I would just turn that around to say, why is everyone from other countries so bad at singing? Wow, okay. right? But it's it's just one of those weird cultural embedded things that every single guy I know genuinely in Ireland can play Wonderwall. It's true though, right? Yeah, yeah. And they'll be the guy with the guitar at the party, which all the other guys hate because everyone's flocking to them. A lot of the girls too. Actually, no, more and more. I've seen you do it. Yeah, it's one of my... (laughs) I I don't do it so much these days, but still, it is something that happens. And it it really is a rite of passage for many guys. When they get to, in Ireland, I guess, age 12, 13, Mm. a guitar is in every house, by the way, in Ireland. At least like... There's one in the attic. You'll find See, one. That in itself is already a very interesting phenomenon. Yeah, omnipresent. A guitar or a piano you'll find, in mm. a lot, or like a keyboard or something, you know. But you will then be able to go to YouTube or Guitar Tabs, ultimateguitar.com, one of those. And honestly, Wonderwall, you can learn it in half an hour. Like, it, I don't know if you've ever tried guitar. You tried a bit of guitar or? I've uh, you have taken other people's guitars yeah. and, uh, and played one. You have one, one though. You have one at home. Well, right? it's, it's my wife's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you could. You I, could. I could try. I could. You could by tomorrow. Then 24 hours from now, you could play Wonderwall. That's for sure. I don't, I think you're really uh, not well gi- giving like, my musical abilities more credit than they deserve. No, I've seen I you. I played uh, clarinet for almost oh, three years. Well, then even better. I think you really <laughs> could do it because literally Wonderwall, your, your two little fingers, your ring finger and your little finger don't move for mm. the entire verse. And all you're doing is four shapes with your index and middle finger. Mm. And once you learn those, you're, you're home free. Yeah, but there's a whole other part of the equation, which is then the singing of it. Uh, yeah, true. But right. you could be the, at least, at the very least, you could be <laughs> the, the, the rhythm guitar for Wonderwall, you know? Okay. But yeah, I, I what your point is like somehow Irish guys can both play and sing and like do a version of Wonderwall which is yeah. not terrible but then again once you sing the first line of Wonderwall at a party everyone is singing along. right so your voice just falls into the background nobody yeah. really notices so Fair yeah, point. Fair it's a good point. Uh, it's a good strategy yeah but there must be something you know culturally going back you know to to your Celtic and, and Gaelic oh, yeah. Irish ancestors where music has always played a role right because yeah, 100% folk, it's, folk and tribes, it's it's a huge part of our history right and still a big part of our culture today and here I go with another shout out for a band called Lancome Lancome L-A-N-K-U-M they're a group from Dublin who are putting like a modern spin on traditional Irish music. Okay. They just released a new album, which I'm floored by and keep coming back to. It's a bit heavy. There's some parts that you kind of have to troll through with them, you know, but then there's some songs which are just bangers start to finish. And uh, th- one example of how traditional Irish music is still alive and well, there's many others. The Olam, a really interesting American band who are playing trad Irish music still uh, and many others besides. So if any listener is interested in traditional Irish music, you have actually a wealth of options available to you. There you go. From cover music to why every Irishman can I, play the guitar yeah. and sing Wonderwall. You can never really predict where these are going to go, but nevertheless, here we are. But speaking of Wonderwall, mm. I know the Gallaghers are from, from Manchester, but mm. Gallagher, it comes across as a very Irish name, or am I mistaken? I think it is. And this is one where in the UK they'll pronounce it as like Gallagher, you know? Gallagher. If you're from Liverpool, like Gallagher. Right, yeah. But in Ireland, we would call it Gallagher. 
Gallagher. Yeah. Okay. You might not even um, the aspirate the GH that you just did. Like you might just say Gallagher. Okay. Like I'm doing more Dutch. Gallagher. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gallagher. <laughs> oh, the hit is a no. no uh, that's I, I don't have I don't. professional exotologist. Yeah, there mentioned you go. Two episodes there we ago. go. It comes back. But uh, Gallagher. Yeah, you do hear a lot of Gallagher's in Ireland. Don't know the etymology of it. That's one that I would love to have prepared in advance. But here we go. Uh, <laughs> I'm riffing off the top of the dome. Maybe I can promise that in a future episode if we come back to name Wonderful. etymologies. Yeah, that could be really good. That As we good. learned, you are Neil, son of Patrick. It's Actually, Patrick. one interpretation, yes. The worse, the less generous interpretation, MacGillifaudric, the Irish. MacGillifaudric. MacGillifaudric yeah. directly translates to son of the servant of Patrick. Gilla, oh, wow, meaning okay. servant. Now, when I learned that when I was growing up, one of the caretakers, I huh? quickly uh, forgot or, you know, intentionally forgot that particular part of the Whoa. translation. <laughs> Mach, if it was son of Patrick, it would just be Mach Fodrick or like okay. O Fodrick or something so like Magilla that. So Magilla Fodrick. Yeah, that's, the, that's where Fitzpatrick or how Fitzpatrick has been uh, translated. However, interesting fun fact, Fitz it derives from the, uh, the French, French feast. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So it's not just, uh, it's not just Irish that uh, we, that has impacted Irish names today. Well, that's lovely. Yeah. On that amazing point that listeners will yes. be enraptured by, I'm sure. That bombshell listeners. We're going to take a quick break and then some of you know what's coming. Welcome back, listeners. Neil, here we are. At the time of recording, less than 48 hours from the release of the season finale, the all-time series finale of Succession, we made it. How do you feel? Elated. I'm delighted by how well it ended. So, spoiler, mm-hmm. there's, my, uh, there's my take. I loved it. I'm even less. I'm like less than 24 hours removed from having watched it. So right. I'm still a bit reeling and I'm still kind of processing it, reading what I can online, trying to make sense of it all. But my short answer is absolutely loved it. Yeah, I mean, I think we we talked the whole season about are they going to land the plane? How are they going to do it, etc. Mm-hmm. In the end, it felt almost easy for them. It didn't leave me desiring anything. They did such a good job, episodes one through nine, that they literally just had to land the plane on the runway. We didn't need a 360 or anything crazy, but still one of the most riveting 90 minutes of television I've ever seen, regardless yeah. of that. Insanely well-crafted. There's so much you can say about the episode we'll get into, you know, about how specifically they drew the two opponents towards each other, you know, mm-hmm. like, who mm-hmm. was it going to be? Was it a yes or a no from Shiv? Kind of? But the way that they built it up, we paused it a few times as I was watching it, and I thought I really had it sorted after 20 minutes. I was like, okay, there we go. Like, mm-hmm. it's not going to be Tom because we saw that in the first 20 minutes. So usually what Succession does is like shows you what's going to happen in, in the first 20 minutes and then does the opposite in the right, rest. Right, exactly. But this was not that actually because they showed what was going to happen. Then they showed something else that was going to happen. And then it was, yeah. Anyway, I just thought super well constructed that somebody who has been watching the show all the way along, who thinks they've got it all figured out and knows the tricks of the trade, still couldn't really quite call exactly how it was going to land. No, exactly. And I think, in a way and not just because of the length being these 90 minutes right it's kind of a mini succession movie yeah where all the themes have kind of come back and i mean i wouldn't encourage anybody to do this but i almost feel you could watch that as a standalone movie mm-hmm. without having watched 
I know it's bold to say, but without having watched the previous 38 episodes, yeah. and it would still be incredibly compelling. You still get so much from these characters, obviously not as much as us that have dove yeah. deep into it over the past four or five years, but that's how solid it was that it could almost be a standalone, even though it's the last part of exactly. 39 episodes. So you could say, I totally agree that it could stand alone. And I would actually be very interested to have a lab rat, you know, a, right. <laughs> some kind of an experiment with someone who's never watched it. Just say, watch this episode. Did you enjoy it? My prediction is, what they would say is, this seems really cool. I mm. think I would like this, but I have no idea who anybody is or what's right. going on. Right. So my point would be that you could make a 90-minute succession movie with this this episode's content as the plot. All it would need, I think, is a little bit more exposition at the start. Mm-hmm. And just the pure scene setting of like, hey, you're my brother. That's, you know, just that, that classic, like uh, mm-hmm. setting the scene dialogue that you get in episode one of mm-hmm. every of every, se- of every series, you know? Yeah. What I found interesting is that whenever you come to the end of, you know, a long drawn out series, especially if you've been current with it, like while it's airing, right? Like week by week, etc. It's always a bit melancholic, right? But with this one, even though the closure we get is, you know, you could say a bit open to interpretation. It's enough that I don't even want one more episode, yeah. let alone another season. That's how perfectly executed this was. Totally. I think Jesse put himself put it unbelievably well, Jesse Armstrong, in the inside the episode clip that they uploaded yeah. straight after, where he said, the story continues, these characters will continue, mm-hmm. but this is where the show loses interest in them, basically. Exactly. The show is about the succession. That's From the start, that's the name of the show, that's what it's all been about. And we, as viewers then, as the show ends, it doesn't. it's not suggesting anything really in terms of finality. It's not saying, mm-hmm. and everyone is d- done now, and that's the end. It's like, these guys will go on. Probably Shiv is like sitting in the car plotting her next move with Tom. You know, is she going to stay with him? All these things. What's, they all remain billionaires, just to be clear. Oh, like very wealthy billionaires. Yeah, they just got the biggest pay out of their lives right so it it's very much going to continue and you, you're left it's left to your imagination really to fill in the blanks of what you think is going to happen but that's just not the point like what happens from here is irrelevant to the show of succession what happens or what's relevant is everything that has happened to this point and got us to this point right so i think that was just so uh, so well executed on that exactly point. and it's kind of like when you have those biopics let's say there's the approach where you cover you try and fail to Mm. cover a whole person's life in, you know, two to three hours Mm. or whatever it is, or where you focus on a certain period of their life. And I think that's kind of the school of thought that from from the series point of view that Jesse uh, bought into, he said, okay, this is a story about now two to three years of of this family's life and everything that happens there. Mm. And that's kind of everything kind of happens in those two, three years for you to also imagine what happened before and potentially what happens after. 100%. And it's... Everything is there, right? It's like like Shakespeare or Beckett or one of these. It's extremely dense, but everything is on the page. That it's for you. Like, there's no bonus information that we can go Google or find mm-hmm. out. Like, the show is so smartly constructed in the sense by Jesse that he has left all the clues and all everything's in the writing, right? Yeah. So it's it's done. It's perfect. It's like if if anyone is asking for an additional season, they've missed like the the point, you know, of of, yeah. of what this whole thing is about. Yeah, and but having said that, I felt like I had watched some prequel show Mm. with the Roy siblings as kids. I felt I knew everything that shaped them up until here, for example. Even Logan's career and everything. Without actually having seen that, you you get you get kind of what I mean. Everything yeah. was there, like yeah. you said. But it, it's it's tricky as well, like we talked about before, because there is an analog for Logan Roy 
Mm-hmm. You know, like we we do have uh, some some very close um, characters to him in real in the real world. Oh, absolutely. And I do feel like we attach a bit of that. Our, our understanding of those people mm. gets attached to him a bit. And same with Matson, for example, where right. I see a bit of Elon and a bit of Mark Zuckerberg. And oh, all that, absolutely. You know, inevitably. And yeah. I think he would say, Alexander Skarsgård says himself that those were, yeah. you know. His uh, inspiration. An inspiration, maybe not exactly. He's not doing an impersonation of them. Right. But like, so I, I think that's why we feel so familiar with these characters, just because they're so well acted, so well performed, but they are also heavily inspired by real people that we have seen for years and years. Mm-hmm. You know? the right show at the right time, right? 100%. Spoke so exactly timely. to what we need. Exactly. And what did you see Jesse, actually, Jesse Armstrong's point? He thinks that this is the best thing he'll ever write. Yes. What do you make of that? Like, do you think that's, that's true or is he just being modest? I think th- what he added to that was because it's a space that he's just so interested and intrigued in. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that says a lot when you have that kind of Venn diagram intersecting between... What, what you love to do, what you're good at, what you're interested. And mm. I think that probably was this for I, him, right? Yeah. And it's also a space, we were texting about it a bit last night. I think there is so much there that I'm interested in in that space, but I don't think he can tap back into it without, you know, disappointing himself more than us probably. Yeah. We'd love it. I think that's probably the case that he will go on to do massive things. Mm-hmm. And I guess we'll talk about that as well, of what's next for the creative team. But I don't think he'll ever do something that he feels so strongly about and has such a passion for it than this, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's a shame. But at the same time, it's like, isn't it great that someone got a chance to make their masterpiece, you know? Yeah. That really this is like probably him and his firing on all cylinders at the best of his abilities. Yeah. And it's perfect. Yeah. And he absolutely nailed it. And there's a universe where this show would have just been another billions on yeah. Showtime, yeah, right? Oh, just just yeah. the cool private jets, Wall Street, whatever. Yeah. But actually, it was about the sadness of that side of things. It mm. was about Roman, for example, you know, being abused as a kid uh, by by his father. Kendall yeah. being conditioned, being told when he's seven years old, you're going to take over the company and how his whole life is, is leading up to that. It was mm. actually... And I don't remember if it was Jesse or somebody that said that on one of the follow-up podcasts. It wasn't about making the characters likable. Mm-hmm. It's still humanizing. Yeah, yeah. And that's where they hit the nail on the head, where you can humanize despicable figures. Mm-hmm. And that ends up being something so compelling to watch that's character-driven and yeah. not necessarily event-driven. Like half the time yeah. you couldn't care less about the bear hug here or the acquisition there. It's about mm. what's going on in these characters' heads. It's, it's totally true. Although I, I would commend also their ability to make us care about those things. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. if you remember, even in this season, there was the India numbers in episode like seven or eight yeah. or something, where that suddenly became a massive deal. And me as a watcher, I was like, oh my God, then the Indian numbers are fudged, right? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> I can't, so into this, it. Is gonna, this is going to change everything. And that, sorry to say, that that, that one plot point kind of went nowhere. Like yeah. that, that was a, a, I don't know what they were planning or if it was going to be a bigger point or something. But it, it, I don't think it was actually like to use uh, to use the phrase uh, that Jeremy uses uh, dramaturgically. Like I, mm, I don't know, yeah. I don't know if that really was necessary. And therefore, I, I reflect back, thinking, why? How did they manage to make me care so much about something right. that literally did not matter at Which all? Which then they threw out so easily because yeah. Shiv advised Matson to yeah. just talk about it uh, when when all the election fiasco 
post-election yeah. yeah, days yeah, yeah. going about, so it gets lost, right? Exactly. And that's what happened. I mean, there, okay, overall, I don't want to get critical, really, yeah. because overall it was so well done. And yeah. all the other beats of this season, when you look at the election and how that leads to Mencken, who wants an American CEO, all of that, yeah. it had a really nice chain reaction to yeah. it, and that all sat together well. It's just that India stuff, did it? The only thing it really did was got Ebba on on their side, on the Zip's side a little, or on at least the boys' side, right? Yeah. That she kind of confessed that to them and then they, they set up a bit of a back channel to her. But like, yeah, I don't know. That was the one area where I was like, mm, don't really know. But, but I, I think part of it is the device that that writing room that's what Jesse loves to do, which is build somebody up to the top of the mountain. You mm. think Matson is a genius and then you're like, yeah, yeah. whoa, is he just doing the same stuff as Kendall with Living Plus? Yes. Is he even that good? Is he even that smart, right? Like that's uh, that's probably the the purpose they they serve 100 but yeah i get your point about being so engrossed in it that you're living it with them i mean mm. multiple times i was like oh shit the retreat in norway's tomorrow yeah. oh shit the yeah, funeral yeah. tomorrow like yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm one of them you know like, getting <laughs> into going the, insane. like getting into the negotiation of it as well like where it's like right. 50 50 stock cash split yeah, yeah, like yeah all these like details and then the the variables that they traded through that negotiation it was just so like uh yeah, you you feel you're in it as like a some kind of corporate uh, M and A lawyer. You're like, yeah, yeah, I could do it. That's a great deal. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. so I, think, I don't know what I'm talking about. But Five mil, yeah, good deal, good deal. <laughs> and then Matson comes with the uh, the power play crazy offer. It was just so good. Um, my God, I'm gonna miss it so much. I hope there's something as good coming along because really now there's going to be a real gap in my in my TV uh, calendar. I think so. And I, a lot of the discourse we'll probably get to that towards the end of this pod is mm. is that kind of the end of prestige tv as we know it which they thought was over you know at the time of thrones etc and then this kind mm. of cpr revived us uh it did in a sense to like, that level defining like that i don't think we've had yeah. that since but you don't get many of those no this I, and maybe we should get into like where Let's it sits it. yeah so it's it's for sure in my pantheon of the top five right which mm-hmm. is in and i'm not going to order them yet but just no. to give you an idea of where i'm at it's like the wire sopranos uh, of course, you have uh, the West Wing. I, I have in there. Band of Brothers. I would have in there. Mm. True Detective season one. I have in there, and probably this would be my, the fifth in that list. I don't know. Let's see where I place it yeah. in that list. But I would put uh, I would put Succession in there as well. Yeah, I think without a doubt, for me, it's I would say a top three at the moment mm. with The Wire and uh, Sopranos. No particular order. I think also. I don't want to give it the two or the one now because of the incredible recency bias. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And also we need to see how the thing ages, right? Like, for example, how the wire ages. I love it so much more in Mm. a way now than I would have 20 years ago, if that makes any sense. I think it does. Yeah. So I think we need to give it at least those five years to be able to say, oh, is it it the goat or whatever? Mm. But the fact that it's already in that conversation now uh, that's for sure I yeah. think we can we can easily say that yeah and those other goats that we mentioned like we were talking about this in, a, in the run up to this episode they are the greatest of all time undisputedly but they're not perfect they're far from it actually no, and you can pick holes in all of them like the wire season 5 we talked about uh, the west wing in general like it, it is very very good but like this it's, it falls off dramatically five through when, seven when Sorkin leaves it's, it's, yeah. it's terrible uh, Sopranos has so much filler so many episodes that were just right. for the laugh there's Thanks. Yeah, dream sequences and all this kind of stuff where you're like, okay, let's, let's move yeah. on here. 
but it, it's in spite of those things that they were still so great as, as they were. So I think you already you can find flaws with Succession. I'm not a huge fan of like the, the mid seasons of season two and three. I kind of, it lost me a little bit. Okay, like yeah. I thought they, they would nail a season finale every single time and they did do. It's just that some of the mid season I found was like a little wandering, but it doesn't take away from the fact that I think it's one of the best TV series yeah. of all time. And I think what it comes down to is Sopranos, you're upwards of 80 episodes, right? Mm-hmm. The 39 episodes of Succession could dance with the 39 best of Sopranos. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, right? yeah. Still. I actually don't know. Like, Sopranos, for me, doesn't have one or two, like, absolute banger episodes. Mm. At least, maybe I'm wrong on that, but... Pine Barrens, maybe, you know, where they're lost in the snow. Yeah, chasing. That's, that's a comedy episode. Yeah. I mean, both right, right, right. But, like, I see your point, which is, like, it's a great episode, but... There's been many episodes where I'm rewatching it right now. So I'm on season six, eight right now for the second time coming through Sopranos again. And there's many episodes where I finish it and we turn to each other and we're like, yeah, that was a seriously good episode. What mm. an amazing, you know, examination of a particular topic or theme. Mm. But there's never one where we're like best episode of all time, you know. Right. Sopranos for me, the virtue of it sits on its a construction and the, the the arc of each character and how, how Tony yeah. evolves. And yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's something else. Yeah. And I think in terms of they did it very differently, but they're both there in terms of the writing, in terms of, uh, like you said, the the character development, mm. in terms of being funny. Yeah. No, I mean, but, they're both I mean, tragedies in a way, but they're both hilarious. I would say Succession is a tragedy. Uh, yeah, and, and absolutely. Like, uh, with extremely funny dialogue, like, right. uh, and uh, with, with comedy as a key part of its storytelling, mm-hmm. if you get me. Mm-hmm. There was a moment in season three that really stuck with me of Succession where I don't even remember the exact context, but basically Logan was like on the run and, and in fear of being extradited to, to the US right. and they're getting on his private jet to go yeah. somewhere. And it was like, where's Carl? And like, he, he needed to get a sandwich. a sandwich. He's getting a sandwich. And it's like, why? <laughs> like if you were being really critical as a, you oh. know, as an editor, you'd be like, yeah, obviously cut that. That's yeah. irrelevant. But somebody, presumably Jesse was like, no, 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 keep that in. That's crucial to yeah. keep in, you know? And I, I think that's why it was such an amazing show that it always found time and space for those kind of throwaways, which were in theory funny, but also like important, you know, in a weird yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, in a way. In in what they reveal about the character or whatever, yeah. right? Exactly. So I guess if, if you would need a tiebreaker, and again, it's not to rank them now, mm. but, and we discussed this weird text thing about this last night, mm. the depths of the characters and the level and caliber of acting. Mm-hmm. I mean... Okay, Sopranos, Gandolfini, probably the best anti-hero of all time on any TV show. Maybe you throw in Walter White, whatever, but he's up there. Mm. But the rest of the cast, I mean, half the time you have the guy doing uh, Sirico, doing Polly Walnuts, whatever, Imperioli. I mean, whereas here you have Brody coming in for, for an episode. You have mm. uh, Skarsgård coming in for half a season and killing it, and he's not even in the top 10 uh, in the credits. Every single cast member basically of succession i think is knocking it out of the park on a weekly basis like it it, there is it's so hard to find a weak link actually when was there ever a character where you're like eh, don't know about that like every single one was like an inspired choice actually adrian brody might be the only one where i appreciated his input liked that he was in that one episode that he was in in season three but could have done without actually just the, the fact that it was Adrian Brody, if you get me, because... Yeah, and the fact that he only did it for one episode, yeah. right? It's like, clearly it's him. Like, you know, the fact that we can't yeah, remember okay. his character, we're, yeah. we're here calling him Adrian yeah. Brody, it's like... Yeah. Aronson. 
Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what what was the deal? Like he was good. Like he he did a I fine think he job. He wanted to be on yeah. Succession. Yeah, that was the that's unforgivable because right? this is how Ed Sheeran got onto Game of Thrones and it was a disaster. Okay, well, yeah. he showed up in like one of the later seasons and it's like, oh, there's Ed Sheeran. Like it was so ah, awful, you know. Yeah. But uh, if imagine if that Adrian Brody character had just been unknown actor a you know mm. and then you would have really kind of been intrigued to be like oh what's this it's guy's deal what's he like experiment. you know because yeah. to me agent brody is agent brody and he'll do yeah. his agent brody thing and you know yeah so i was i was a bit like yeah cool like uh that's a fair point i if if though had agent brody become a matson like exactly. figure i would have been all over it but that's like, probably what a missed. great opportunity yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and what a cool thing to have like this this huge star in, in right. that role but i just think skarsgård was just Un, unmissable unmistakable as this I techno. I wouldn't have expected that based on his maybe cumulative 20 minutes from season 3 exactly I was that shocked. he would end up being you know the the pseudo Logan for the rest of this season I wonder was that even the intention when they were doing season 3 I think the Gojo thing was like part of the story but not like central right. and then when they went away and started writing season 4 they were like what if this Gojo thing actually is like fundamental and, and we get Matson like properly involved because right. really like if you ask me at the end of season three what do i think of the matson character i was pretty cold on him actually i was like yeah he's kind of boring tech bro like yeah. asshole you know whereas the, the different layers of him and the the funny side of him and the weirdness and the swedishness yeah. of him that really came through a lot more in this season and they really made him they gave him the the finally like the actual fully fledged character characterization yeah. that we needed so i thought he was in the end masterfully done yeah i thought it was great and he was great as a counterweight to to kendall to roman up on top of the mountain i mean it was just uh just immense but so many great characters right i mean i would i would love to just spend 20 minutes watching the village elders uh you know carl frank and and jerry sitting in a room just just having some some banter you know like yeah that's that's how good it was. I mean, think Anybody. of Lady yeah. Caroline. I was yeah. I told you I was so happy we got her in this episode yeah, because yeah. what a character. Yeah. Evil, like properly yeah. horrible. She had a mother. But interesting like a completely horrible mother and a huge part of explaining a bit the siblings, right? And like why they became the way they are. It it reminds me a bit of Ewan's eulogy in episode nine, mm-hmm. where he tells the story about the two of them on the boat and the traumatic experience they had. And Ewan offers that as a kind of a context setting for why Logan was the way he was. You feel a bit bad for Logan. Exactly. For, a for second, the first time you're yeah. like, hmm. I get it. This does help me understand him a bit. And likewise, I think the more they showed of Caroline, the more we as viewers understood the siblings. Right. It was just continuing to paint just how horrible a childhood these kids had with this woman who was incapable of love, warmth, empathy, anything. Mm-hmm. In fact, mistreated them, something around not feeding them a lot. You know, like mm-hmm. there was there was some kind mm-hmm. of weird, almost unsaid parts where it was like implied. Uh, yeah. So I think the more that we saw of Caroline, the more we attached to the kids we got or the more understanding we gained of the kids, which was like a really nice move as well. Yeah, I think that's what we learned in that last episode, thanks to her appearances. They had nowhere to run to. Mm. Uh, yeah, As exactly. bad of a father as Logan was, like you said, maybe yeah. she was a worse mother. Even in that episode, while they're in Barbados, she gets her what we know now scam artist of a husband peter monion daddy's here to come and pitch them on some scam with some like creamy margins as he referred to it as yeah she doesn't give a flying f and then when the kids get rightly annoyed she's like oh don't be rude darling like as it like so rude what you're doing right so rude (laughs) oh just like horrible like 
Yeah, actually, yeah. she was one of the few characters that properly wound me up, like as in right. emotional reaction to them, you know. Like, but it, it's amazing what they did with these characters, right? Like yeah. episode one, the one that they say separates the the boys from the men, the the girls from the women, right? When mm. Roman rips up the the million dollar check in yeah, front of the little boy yeah. while they're playing baseball, and I know, you know, for example, you were out after that and then came back, you know, exactly later. Yeah, um, and there were so many moments where I found myself perversely in a way cheering for roman oh, yeah. getting him 100%. having compassion empathizing with him as despicable as as he was like yeah. really being engaged in him and not just with him right that's just an example with also everyone. with the others like yeah how they managed to do that like there was no character really that i was fully out of at any where i was just like well i'm done with this person then you know like that they're just too horrible for me now right. you know whereas in other shows i think you do get that even breaking bad like walter towards the end a season six kind of time you lose all sympathy for it you're There's just like a, he's gone too far you're moment, just a right? demon yeah. like you're just a horrible person yeah. even even gandolfini like in sopranos towards the end of, of season five and six you're like well like you're just off the deep end man like you know yeah. i don't i don't even really care what i'm seeing now but i did still but the point being i suppose that this this show towed that line so well between irredeemable assholes and people complicated people but still you know people all right so good so good so good We'll take a quick break, listeners, and then we'll come back to wrap this up. Listeners, welcome back to the final segment of this week's episode, all about succession, diving in to the finale and the series as a whole. We're going to get into two final topics which we wanted to cover on this uh, episode. First of which is the creatives behind mm -hmm. the show. Specifically, I think we can narrow it down to Jesse Armstrong and Mark Mylod. So yeah. Jesse who did most of the writing and Mark who did most of the directing, I would say, through it. You asked me the question, Nicola, the other day of where does he go from here? Where does Jesse Armstrong go from here? Where do you think he goes from here? I think first a nice little holiday, you know, somewhere in the Caribbean well or something, right? Yeah, Well-deserved. Yeah. Where does he go from here? I mean, again, like we discussed, I think he's, what he's tapped into here is obviously a very rich vein, but he's also said he can't do it much better than that. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard his earlier stuff, which I haven't watched, was very screwball comedy-ish. Oh yeah, you haven't watched it? No, okay. No, did I'll you? Talk, yeah, I'll talk a bit about okay. it. So like Peep Show, his uh, probably most successful work, right, Peep first Show. and foremost, mm -hmm. that's with David Mitchell and, and Robert Webb, these uh, British comedians, mm -hmm. which is so different. Like you wouldn't believe how different it is to Succession. Okay. But there were certain lines in Succession, even in last in last night's episode, which I was like, that could be straight out of Peep Show. The crispiness show, of the writing is yeah, the same. Yeah, the kind of punniness actually sometimes. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, you know when... They were at the uh, furniture reallocation uh, thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, I think Shiv put like a letter acronym on it where she was like, oh, an FBD or something. Like, you know, she, right. that, right. I was like, oh, that's straight out of uh, Peep Show. Out of you know? Peep Show. It was that kind of, th that's the kind of humor you would get. Peep Show was interesting and in just in the way it was filmed, it was filmed from a first person uh, view of the okay. two main characters. Yeah. So just from, from an interest point of view, it's worth checking that out actually. Also now having seen Succession, you can go back and see a bit of the, the early influence of... Uh, of Jesse. Okay. From there, he went on actually to do The Thick of It, which you need to watch if you the haven't. The Thick of It. Yeah. Oh, unbelievable. And the only challenge with The Thick of It is here in Denmark, there's no legal way to watch it. There's no streaming 
service that has it, I don't think. Okay. So I'm a little bit stuck there on how to watch it. All but right. still well, well, well worth yeah. uh, getting into. Okay. But I don't know. I mean, I think with him, what I've seen is a lot of these actors he brings in are actually uh, just theater actors. Well, yeah. just air quotes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the our friend uh, David Rash playing mm-hmm. uh, Carl and then uh, the one playing Frank, uh, J. Smith Cameron playing Jerry. Mm. Maybe he goes and does, you know, Broadway or he does uh, some something in London on on the theater uh, in terms of having his own, his fully owned production, having all that creative freedom. I don't think it'd be too much of a curveball with a guy like him. I, nothing would surprise me, actually. I think as I was kind of reflecting, I think this is probably the most in-demand TV writer in the world right now, you have to imagine. It's got to be. So he's going to have the likes of Netflix, He's going to have Apple, Amazon, Hulu, all these. He'll stay with HBO if he does TV, Should I'd do. say. Because of think, the freedom right? they give. Like, oh, yeah, 100%. Right. I mean, it's, it certainly worked out well for him so far. So that's, so. But meanwhile, I, if I'd be pretty worried if I was HBO because he's going to have Netflix coming with a gigantic skip full of money right. and saying, you literally, we will give you carte blanche. You do whatever it is you do. Mm. We don't understand how yeah. you do it. We just know that when we give you money, you turn it into towers of money you know right right so i i think he will probably take like a few years Mm -hmm. to let those offers kind of come and go and like let the heat die down a bit see what comes to him from a creative perspective like where where he's being pulled and hopefully do something really different maybe comedy maybe something like just totally out there and i hope it's as good or close to as good as succession but i also think succession is one of those magic once a generation, once a decade kind of shows that is actually even more than the sum of its parts in a weird way. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. if you took all those exact actors and that director and that writer, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, and pull it all together, it's even the music, it's even those little details that make it yeah. so good. Let's not forget Mark Mylod as a director who's unbelievable and we we have absolute faith in, directed many episodes of Game of Thrones, even the later ones, right? which were grateful. Yeah. So it's not that he's without, you know, <laughs> sin here, you know. Uh, no, no, absolutely. But I do think, like like Jesse, Mark Mylod can name his price and will be. you'll see him directing Oscar movies uh, in the very well, near future. Well, and that's the thing is, also with Jesse, he could go a bit the Sorkin route where mm. he kind of feels done with TV after The West Wing and he, ends, he ended up doing Social Network, writing yeah. that, right? Now he's doing directing stuff, which is a bit mixed received, right? But mm. he wrote the script to social network, Moneyball, etc. What's to stop Jesse from going to the big screen if he feels, you know, there's the right collaboration? Well, there. he has been there before. I mean, you'll see on his Wikipedia, he has a few films, but okay. it seems yeah. like he's not, he's never really struck gold. His probably most successful film was In the Loop from 2009. Okay, yeah. Starring uh, Gandolfini, actually, among a few yeah. others. But One of his last... But I've seen that and I didn't love it. There's something about the film format that doesn't work with Jesse necessarily. Mm. I'm not totally sure. This is very like a bit of a serious postulation on my part, but I just don't think he's able to do what he needs in such a short time mm. frame. You know, okay. he needs yeah. like time to build things up and to get an arc going. And yeah. yeah, a film is just not as... Uh, what as about my lot as a director? Because some of these episodes... Mm you know, like we discussed, were almost feature length. These were innovative, those, and they were feature yeah. length and phenomenally directed. Yeah. I particularly... On film, not that's, digital. That's what I was that's going huge. That He employed a technique first used by Alfred Hitchcock in Rope. Uh, Your guy. Yeah, where Rope is like a, one of the Hitchcock films that's filmed in one take, but mm-hmm. of course, reels were not capable of filming for more than like 10, 15 minutes at right. a time. So they, very clumsily in Rope, they did these 
cuts where the camera would zoom in on someone's jacket and then zoom out and it was like a new reel. But Mark Mylod did the exact same in several moments in this season, most notably during Logan's death, where he had each camera, Steadicam going around where they would be live switching reels on one yeah. at a time. So they were able to do the whole thing in one take, even though they were running out of film each time. Unreal. Just thought that was and it, it, one example of many of where his direction is just inspired and it's bold and a bit brave and he's able to take risks and say, no, nah, I, I really think we should do it this way, you know. Also how he set up the whole funeral episode, yeah, right? Yeah. Like four we cameras. We just attended a funeral literally for an hour. Exactly. And the shooting was was kind of high risk, high reward because mm-hmm. he, I think he said something like they had four cameras set up. None of the cameras were in each other's sight line. Right. So they could just run the thing. Yeah. So people just did the funeral, but they only got time to do it like a few times. Yeah. Because you can't, you can't do the whole scene more yeah. than like three or four times before it's like, okay, we, we were out of time here today. Like, the, like us with the podcast. Exactly. Speaking of, yeah. So Mark Mylod, what, it, the only thing I wanted to have a look at is from his filmography, can we potentially predict, you know, where he's going? So film-wise, he's done almost nothing. He did the Ali G movie and that's, and he did the menu actually funny enough. That's a, an Oscar level film that I don't think either of us saw no. from last year. So that might be one to look into for his uh, directing chops. I mean, he's got uh, show-wise, like you said, he was on Thrones for three years. Mm. The Affair with our guy, McNulty. Like that, like that. That was a Showtime show. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. But The Affair was quite long. The Affair was 53 episodes? Yeah, but he only did the pilot. So Uh, he was, uh, yeah, one and done. I think actually he's peaked, right? Like, as in, this is by far his his biggest achievement, this uh, succession. 16 episodes. For for all of these. I Um, mean, he hasn't directed every episode, that's fair. But, I mean, he, he was of course instrumental in the overall success so i think it'll be interesting to watch him and i'm super interested to see does he stay with tv does he try and jump over to to film or something but i think for those two it's a bright future ahead absolutely no doubt now what about the characters the character arches yeah let's finish on that so what we wanted to to get into here is thinking of the main sibs maybe we include tom maybe we include Mm -hmm. let's see how we how we go with time which of their arcs from start to finish from the very start to the very end do we like the most, right? Which one do we think nailed the landing the most? Should we start maybe, uh, start, start with whoever. You pick. Uh... Well, I guess the most obvious point to start because it's so full circle and running into walls while going around that circle constantly is the Kendall one. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. What kind of journey did Kendall really go on? How different is he at the end than he was from the start? I'm actually... Not super convinced that he really changed like at all. Yeah, the only the only cool thing I took I took from this episode was when the vote goes through and when he's told by Frank, "You don't have it. You never did. You never did." He walks to the elevator and he presses the zero button on you, the elevator. You thought he was going to press top floor and jump? I really did. I have to say, of course he did. I really did. I, did I think too. a lot of us did. Yeah, but yeah. he presses the zero button, which is an it's an intentional decision, of course. And I think is, is a visualization of where he's accepting his level, you know, because he's just been told by Roman, we're bullshit. Like we're bullshit. you, me, I'm just telling you because I know we're bullshit. All of it. So he walking to the elevator and pressing that zero, I felt was a very nice acceptance finally from him where he's like, yes, I am literally ground floor. I'm, I'm nothing here. I, I'm out. Like I'm, I have nothing to do with this place. Ooh, what a, what a read. Which I think is a, is an evolution from start to finish because from episode if one, if that's the case, from episode one, season one, he has this delusion so strongly held that he's hot shit, like really, you yeah. know, and it's time and again, proven to him 
over and over and over again. He has a few high points, of course, but never really gets beyond the fact of he is basically bullshit. But till two minutes before that elevator scene, he's yeah. saying, I don't know what else I would do with my life without having this job and all of that. But right? using every pathetic card in the book. Oh, God. I was... I didn't kill the kid. I, I made that up. I'm uh, I'm the eldest and boy. And believing himself all set. So he, yeah. he becomes his dad in that scene, right? Because yeah. remember, no real person involved. An RPI. Yeah, yeah. What he tell? Oh, don't worry about that. And he's shocked RPI. by that at the time. And then he's doing it there. Unbelievable. And it purely, like, it's so transparently, and his siblings see through it instantly where they're like, no way, man. No, like, Roman is just like, absolutely no way, man. Like, no. this is so not what we want to have no. and see with this company. And ultimately, I like how the siblings kind of clumsily, not totally intentionally, ended up doing what was probably the best thing, yeah. which was to actually Forever. let the thing go. Yeah. They get the payout yeah. at a very high price and they don't get their incompetent hands anywhere near the, mm. ruining the company any further than they yeah. already have. I do think Kendall, though, now with his billions, tries and fails yeah, multiple yeah, yeah. times this to set him. up his own thing and do it, right? So yeah. having said that, has he really come very far or is he the same Kendall that we started with? I think we have seen him through these water metaphors, right? Where a lot of water. He has spent so many episodes in lying in water, face down, face up, yeah. swimming, staring at it, bathing, yeah. staring at it. But this is the key thing. I don't think we've seen him staring at water until the end of this episode. Okay. So yeah. maybe, again, to use the word like dramaturgically or, you know, metaphorically or symbolically, what Jesse is saying here is for the first time he's removed from what has been previously just his existence you know mm, he's mm. able to look with this like third person view at the water at the the ocean the, the, right. the thing that has been his life and is able to see it for what it is rather than being in it and immersing himself in it mm. you know so you could argue and this is all just like hypothetical postulation stuff here. that's what we do i could uh, i could make the point i think that directorially what they're trying to say is he's somewhat different. He's somewhat changed. Mm. But then again, it, what the series proved is that he's, you know, he's on a loop. It's addictive behavior. Yeah. Shivroy. Mm. Siobhan. Shivy, shivy, shiv. Oh, man. Sad. The the handholds at the end of this episode. I don't know if you saw that. Limp. Just uh, from both sides. Like, Tom just limply turns over his hand and Shiv just kind of drops her hand in. And it's like the least emotional, affectionate thing. But the key there being that it's Tom with the open palm That's and true. her having to put her hand into exactly. his. Exactly. How that dynamic totally shifted over 39 episodes. Oh, insane. The power, like the the un, purely unspoken power dynamic that we li mm -hmm. literally see visualized, mm -hmm. you know, right before our eyes. It's for her, I think, so sad because her arc, I think, is the most different start to finish where she has come into the show as someone who is bravely branching out from the family mm -hmm. and trying to carve her own path and prove to herself. Competent, somewhat yeah. skilled relative yeah, yeah. to all the others. Trying to prove to herself as well as anyone else that like she's deserving of her place in the world and blah, blah, blah. And where does she end up? Just the wife of a CEO. And what else? Nothing, you know? So she's unfortunately having proven to her in, in a very real sense that all of her aspirations and dreams about herself and thoughts about herself are all just false so i think that's probably the best the, the biggest shift the biggest downfall actually probably yeah potentially is shiv could be from my side and romulus that's an interesting one though. very um 
from both perspectives, also in terms of the, the actor's credentials. Um, in the beginning, let's just take it from the Roman perspective. He's just, you know, he's he's snarky. He's obviously disturbed. It's mm. laugh a minute, joke a minute, clearly insecure, doing weird stuff all the time. I got super invested in this guy when, you know, you start to understand and, and, and get the pieces of he was damaged. Yeah. You know, he was so damaged uh, as a child. He's not just, you know, weird. Like, and there's hints of that even, you know, in season two when they're at the pierces and Logan is like, Roman, laugh like a normal person. We didn't get you from a hyena farm. <laughs> or when he when he smacks him and then totally gaslights him. Oh, some mm-hmm. I mean, did I even make contact? You know, stuff like, that was right? Horrible, yeah. And um, by the end, I feel like he is maybe the only one. Now you say maybe Kendall, mm. but the only one that's truly at peace when he's in that bar having that martini, which mm. I think might have been his dad's drink, mm. and he's having this smirk and he's like, "Yeah, I'm bullshit. I it's know it free. now. Yeah. I'm self-aware. Yeah. I'm free. You know, my dad's not around anymore. I got rid of the company. I yeah. can't. This thing that I've always said I've wanted." But deep down, I know I've never really. I don't mm-hmm. need to pretend anymore. It's exactly. not there anymore. Yeah. And that arc, I think, in a way, kind of beautiful. Yeah. I think he grew a lot and in some ways is just right back where he started. Because mm-hmm. if you remember mm-hmm. from the start, he was so hands off, like from the company, from everything. Right. And he was almost aggressively hands off. Like, I don't care. Not for me. I don't care. It's not for me. He know, was like, out of it, right? Yeah. yeah. He literally was like showing yeah. up at the, at the random times to take some money or whatever, yeah. you know? And I think he's gone on an incredibly painful few years getting tied up in the succession right. thing. And now is finally back where he was, which is like uh, a, a kind of a weird, damaged, uh, sad guy, but like nonetheless free of this horrible drama, this roller coaster that he's been on. Yeah. The only thing I wanted to read though here was if you go back and look at his face when he takes the sip of the martini, mm. it's oh, it's like so amazingly well played by Kieran because he both smiles a bit and c- fights a sob almost like okay. uh, I, I yeah. at least that was my view yeah, that yeah, yeah. The, he uh, they for sure probably took loads of takes of it and he really just they showed exactly the right moment which is he smiles to himself with a genuine smile of satisfaction and then has to kind of fight a, a cry uh, to, to fight against crying you know right there a second later you know at least that was what I saw and I think that's that's just a pure visualization of where he's at which is like mm-hmm. a, a mess basically like he's emotionally destroyed however i i like your point about him seeing he's kind of seeing the matrix right he's like really for for the first time ever had this epiphany about all of this corporate world where he's like Mm -hmm. literally all of this is nonsense at least in his view you know exactly so i think also a very satisfying conclusion would have liked maybe a little bit more of a wrap-up on him and jerry so i know that it was left open and you know he may or may not have strong feelings for it. There were a lot of signs in this episode that he had strong feelings for Jerry. Well, that he was so ashamed the yeah. the moment she came into the office to sign all her papers exactly. and stuff that he was really hurt by what exactly. happened there and how he sabotaged that. Exactly. Whatever and it was. If you watch the, when they were watching the VCR tape of the dinner, when Jerry comes on screen, he drops to the ground actually. He, he like loses strength yeah. in his legs, right? Which yeah. he kind of plays off as just, I'm just shifting around, but yeah. like feels like that was an emotional move as well. So I thought of those three then, I think for me, Shiv's one was the most kind of clearly 
conveyed i think through the or yeah. the, 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 for me the most interesting arc as well where mm-hmm. she's had to f- really go through hell to get where she is and does she even like where she is is she even happy probably not but no. it's it's where she were her destiny took her you know right so going back and rewatching it it'll be so interesting now to to really see knowing where they all end up right how much of it was telegraphed how much of it was you know inevitable i suppose all of it was inevitable but yeah very interesting Unreal. And in terms of the the actors, right? Because I think we, we've all been on the Sarah Snook and uh, and Jeremy Stong trains, whether we like them or not, in terms of acknowledging, okay, these mm. these are some stars, right? Yeah. With Kieran, even on this pod, you and I have had the discussion where, yeah, he's just that funny Roman or just Kieran Culkin. Mm. This season really changed that for me, and I would buy his stock as an actor now. I guess I do, yeah. Dramaturgically. Dramaturgically speaking, yes. I think uh, he is a great example of role of a lifetime, which similar to Gandolfini in Sopranos, it's like when you get an amazing actor, objectively great actor, and in a character that is just so yeah. suited to him. Yeah. So my, I'm not going to say anything other than let's see what he does next. And if yeah. he can do a straight man role or, you know, uh, so, something other than being Kieran Culkin, because if you, again, if you watch him in interviews, he's he's very similar to Roman in many ways. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm interested to see how what's his range, what's he able to pull off beyond being a creepy, slimy kind of guy. But um, amazing. And I think his Emmy is, is in the bag. Yeah. Supporting actor. Yeah. Supporting. Uh, well, I yeah, so. I, th- I think he goes up for lead as well. I think they, they all True, might. Right? Actually, I wonder how they do that. Supporting is going to be Carl. That could well be. It. I actually wouldn't be. They, I'd love they it. could do an absolute curveball, yeah, Absolutely. or or Matson, like or a ah, yeah, yeah, he could yeah. be dropped in. Yeah, I think maybe we ended on this on the fact that that's how good the show was. That we lost Brian Cox, not even three full episodes in, two and a something episodes mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. and we still felt his presence. Now that's credit to him, his presence throughout all the yeah. the rest of the episodes. While at the same time. Everybody picking up the weight and us not missing him at all. If you told me going into the season, they're going to kill off the patriarch, Mm. you know, Mm. two and a half episodes in. On the one hand, you'd be like, okay, well, it's about succession. On the other hand, you'd be like, ooh, risky. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I actually preferred it without him, I have to say. In a way, yeah. Yeah. I thought... I he left like, at the right time. Yeah. Could it be There that? was so much that we needed to do without him, kind of. So he was like, he bowed out at the right moment, you know. I think he overpowered, I think, a lot of the other characters and made them one-dimensional. Mm. Like, any interaction he had with Tom was just like, one guy up here, like, 100% power, and the other guy down here, 0% yeah. power. So their interactions were very, like, simple, actually, and not right. that interesting. Whereas once he's removed, all of the power dynamics start to shift. Tom starts to have this kind of mixed There's level of power. And yeah, yeah. So it was, actually, I thought more interesting to watch the Sibs and, and the rest of the characters acting in his absence. Also, that power shift between the execs and the Sibs, where suddenly the execs were like, you guys are kind of screwed, actually. Yeah, you know, like, exactly. Oh, amazing. But as you say, let's end on that. What a what a testament to the show that they can take away their leading character, the one who's kind of the centrifuge of the whole thing, and it still goes to higher highs and gets better as it goes on. Yeah. Well, there you have it, listeners. From Dundee, Scotland to St. Paul, Minnesota via Barbados. Neil, thanks for these four seasons. It's been a pleasure. It's the least I could do. Thank you for having me and uh, looking forward to the next primetime Emmy winning show. Until next time. <laughs>